HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 7th, 2018. It's a snowy day here in New York City. And this is the 169th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a highly respected hospitality and nightlife vet, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Later, we will have my speed round game, some industry news. I'm going to have a special segment, on an on-the-road segment that I did from South Beach Wine and Food Festival. And we will also have my solo dining experience and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be the boss. Take the lead, start projects, and don't be afraid to follow your gut. If you have a grand idea, work to make it happen. Seek the right partnerships and find people who not only have your vision, but have different strengths than you do, as a strong team will lead to success. So when you have a dream, go for it and be the OG. That's my tip today. Now, I'm excited to have my guest on the show. He is calling in. It is David Rabin. He is a partner at the Lambs Club, Cafe Clover, The Skylark, Jimmy at the James in New York City, plus he has a few Vegas projects that he will be telling us about. Having been in the restaurant and nightlife industry for over 20 years, David was a partner in the nightclub and restaurant Lotus, which helped pioneer the development of the meatpacking district. He also co-founded the Double Seven and was an original owner of Union Bar. 
He served as president of the New York Nightlife Association for nine years and was the founder and president of the Meatpacking District Initiative. So, hello. Welcome, David. Thank you, Sherry. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm just I'm bumming out. I'm not out there with you, but sorry. It's okay. We'll get, we'll get you out here another time. I know today the weather the weather was crazy. It was you know predicting a huge snowstorm that hasn't been so terrible. I think because it wasn't as cold. But I'm just glad it's a Wednesday and not a Saturday. To be honest. <laughs> okay. Better for business. Ah, uh, so. gotcha. I hear you. Well, it's you know Roberta's where I, I you know we're in the backyard. Uh, of Roberta's, and uh, it's very cozy, and there are people here eating pizzas, and so people did come out, but um, yeah, we'll get you out here another time. Deal. Okay. So, you know, I, I mentioned, it, I could go on and on your bio, you've accomplished so many things, but, you know, with Lotus, I I think back, I mean, that's when I met you, back when I was at KB Network News, starting in PR, and I helped work on the opening of Lotus. So maybe you want to go back and, and, and a little about your history and, and what brought you to, to open Lotus, and also I know you started with Rex. Uh, yeah, Lotus was almost a, um, a Godfather three, uh, part three moment for us, um, you know, where Al Pacino says, you know, every time they try, I try and get out, they pull me back in. Um, <laughs> we had We had had pretty good um, press success with our, which our first, with our first place Rex in the early 90s and just sort of happened to coincide with the, the zeitgeist moment of the, the real supermodel, you know, the Cindy, Linda, Naomi kind of Christie moment. And that was all our customer base. And um, even though we had no idea what we were doing really running the business, we had this insane um, audience uh, at Rex. And it led to us doing a the nightclub as consultants for what we thought was a Russian bank. Um, we soon found out it wasn't necessarily a Russian bank, um, but we opened the first Western nightclub in and supper club, really, in Russia after the after the wall came down. Um, oh, wow. Basically, the Studio Fifty Four of Moscow, and we had we had come back and opened Union Bar, and we're kind of happily just running a bar that was you know very very busy, but didn't require sort of the level of promotion and cost and DJs and security and all that that goes with running a nightclub um, and thought that was going to be our new path. And then uh, the the Lotus space was offered to us. And, you know, I had, had kind of one of those moments where I realized, wow, you know, fully licensed cabaret in a neighborhood that can never have residents um, at a decent rent. Uh, and we were sort of like, we almost couldn't say no to the opportunity. It was, you know, it ended up being a very good decision, but at the time we were like, oh, my God, are we really going to do this to ourselves again? So, you know, we were a little reluctant at first, but in the end I think it was the right call. Oh, it was. I mean, it it had a very long run, too. It did. It did have a long run, and, and it took, you know, what people, you know, don't realize who are on necessarily on the outside is, you know, we opened during a, a recession and about 14 months into it was 9-11. And of course, our, our suffering during 9-11 is nothing compared to what real families suffered, but, you know, in terms of people who lost lost family members. But for all the businesses that were sort of, if you will, select, you know, people still had to eat, but they were going out and eating comfort food and going out and eating burgers and stuff. No one was going to nightclubs. And so we were in our 13th or 14th month and really flying very high um, 
you know, business was booming. We were about to sign a lease, literally about to sign a lease to open in Las Vegas um, in the Venetian. And um, 9-11 happened, and it was a real gut punch, you know, for us for probably eight months. We were, you know, we weren't sure we were going to make it through that because people just, we were not the kind of environment people wanted to come to um, while they were getting over the whole mm-hmm. sort of collective grieving that was going on in New York. So the long life of it almost didn't happen. We were kind of lucky to kind of come out come out of that at the end and be able to, you know, refocus the business and, and make it work. Um, but, yeah, it was a long run. It was eight or nine years, which, you know, in nightlife is, is like 100 years. <laughs> right. Now, when you say we, I know, I, I know you had a few partners with Lotus. Were these the same partners? And how did, with, with all the projects that you initially started? And I know also from a longer bio that you were an attorney. You kind of took a break yeah, from I was that. A, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was a lawyer. And um, when I say we, I pretty much am referring to uh, my work wife of over 20 years, which was um, a friend of mine from college named Will Regan. And um, uh, after Tufts, he went to Wall Street, and I went to law school, and I was practicing for a while. And we kept running into each other at various sort of very insidery New York events, which he had much more right to be at than I did. I was sort of there by virtue of representing one one singer. And um, he was there because he was, A, the handsomest guy in New York, and B, he was living with Iman at sort of the height of her fame, although she's still very famous. Um, And we would go to these parties and, um, you know, as civilians, if you will, and look around and complain, like he said, I hate my job, I can't stand my job. I'm like, yeah, I can't stand my job either. And one night at a legendary nightclub called Nell's, we sort of were like looking around the room, we're like, we realized we, realized we knew probably 75% of the people in the room, um, and we're like, we could do one of these. You know, it was just that that dumb kind of a, and I'm like, well, I'll quit my job, and he's like, well, I'll quit my job, and we kind of looked at each other. <laughs> And we called each other the next day, and I said, "Were you serious?" And he's like, "Yeah, were you?" And I was like, "Yeah." And we, we did. We, you know, we left our, you know, very proper. You know, he was down on Wall Street when Wall Street was still Wall Street, and I was in, you know, Park Avenue law firm. And we we gave notice a few weeks later, and a year later we opened our first place. So Will and I worked together from all the way from 1990 through um, the first three or four years of Lambs, um, and only. About four years ago, he decided to move to Massachusetts. I mean, we're still very good friends, but he, his wife's business was uh, really um, blowing up in a good way and needed a lot of extra love and care. And uh, so they have a they have a business that's in both Manhattan and in in Massachusetts. And he basically moved to the sort of the Great Barrington area and is only in New York about four times a year. Um, Okay. So we had sort of a you know a a non a, a business breakup, but not an not I mean certainly an emotional one, but nothing <laughs> wrong. Just he just wanted to you know he wanted a third act in his life and figured that out. Um, and so now I have in the four places I'm a partner in New York, I have four different partnerships, um, which is interesting. Well, yeah, how do, how do you manage that? I mean, you're uh, you're you're involved. You have a lot going on, and and I feel I mean from from your partnerships from Lotus and from the, you know, knowing the Lambs Club and the things you're, you're working on now, they're, you know, you're, you're, you've been very successful and you seem to have the right formula. So 
So how is it, and how do you find these partners? <laughs> Some of it has been by happenstance. Um, uh, a lot of it, you know, well, you know, like the Zakarians are partners because Margaret, uh, whose name at the time was Margaret Williams, now Margaret Zakarian, Jeffrey's wife, Margaret worked for us, as you probably remember, in, in marketing and, and at Lotus. So she was a um, very integral part of Lotus and even the launch of the Double Seven. And then uh, as she, when she and Jeffrey got married, she went to work with um, with Jeffrey on country and some other projects. And so that's actually how we all ended up together at Lambs. Uh, Lambs came along just as everyone was sort of recovering from the gut punch of 2008 um, and they decided that if they were going to take on a project of that size, that they might need some more partners, and so we all did it together. Um, uh, the Skylark, you know, I was really just went to see it as a uh, as a favor while it was under construction, as a fa- favor to a friend um, who grew up with the guy who owns that building. And in the course of our discussion, you know, he asked me if what I, if I would review his business plan, and when I read it. You know, I sort of had to give him, you know, he asked my opinion. And I said, look, I hate, I don't even know you. I hate to tell you what I think. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I, you know, I, I think your business plan is faulty. I don't think it's going to work. And, and uh, you know, you could hear all the air go out of him. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you've got this design as a models and bottles, you know, late night DJ driven nightclub. And I said, that doesn't work on 39th and 7th. And um, he said, well, what would you do? And I said, I would make a, you know, an aspirational feeling version of Soho House, but a public version, you know, so it's not a membership place, but, you know, make a beautiful, you know, kind of a phrase that I've been using since the double seven, you know, quote unquote nightlife for grownups. Um, make it a place that people want to go, feel a little bit of bounce in their step, feel like they've walked into the right place, but can still have a conversation, have an amazing cocktail by a top flight mixologist, uh, feel like a grown-up, but not feel like they're in their in their parents' bar. And um, and then on weekends, I wouldn't even open it. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, I would do weddings and events and stuff. And and because we see how, you know, Times Square area is on the weekends. And so he he had just met Jim Kirsch um, at an event, and he suggested we get together and you know, Jim's been a phenomenal partner. Jim runs Abigail Kirsch Catering. You know, they're right. one of the biggest mm-hmm. in New York. And, and, you know, we've developed a great partnership um, there. Um, Clover, I have a young partner named Kyle Hotchkiss Carone, who I think is, you know, one of the best up-and-comers in the hospitality field in New York. Um, uh, I met him because I literally asked five different women who I thought were very influential in the fashion world, you know, who's who's next and who's and who's not just someone with a following, but and but someone who's really bright and tolerable and creative. And, um, you know, so Clover is a collaboration between me and Kyle and uh, an old, old friend named Jeff Kadish who owns, you know, some real, uh, really established restaurants like Kai Ocho on the Upper West Side, which has been around for, I think, 17 years now. And, um, and lastly, Jimmy was another happy accident where actually the third partner moved to California is no longer part of it, but I had asked a guy to work with me on Jimmy because, to be frank, my partners from Lotus didn't didn't get it. And I was like, what are you not getting? This is the 18th floor of a building with a pool overlooking <laughs> all of Soho. Are, are you dumb? Um, and I, I asked him two or three times. I'm like, look, this is being offered to us um, by the hotel. I'm going to do it. I'm not saying no to this. Do you guys want to be involved or not? And they're like, no, it's too small. It'll distract us. And I'm like, okay, have a good time. 
and I reached out to another guy I liked a lot, and the bonus of it was that I met um, this fellow named Johnny Sweat, who does now does not he's not only my partner Jimmy, but he does the cocktails for Cafe Clover. He does the cocktails at the Skylark. He's got his own place in Brooklyn um, that he recently opened, and he does the consulting for four or five other places. He's great, super hardworking, great partner to have, always on time. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit hard to manage, Sherry, because it is four different uh, groups of people that I have to, you know, have meetings with and deal with. And But, you know, we've all developed a really nice rhythm, and, and you know, we all meet weekly at all the different spaces to just make sure we're all on the same page. And great managers. I mean, you know, I'm sure you've heard that from other guests, but, you know, at the end of the day, you, you obviously can't be in all your venues at once if you've gone beyond having one venue. So... You need to rely on some really the judgment and the skill and the dedication of really great managers and you know knock on wood you know although sometimes you, you run into problems where you're you've made the wrong choice right now we have some really great managers at all our spots yeah no that you sum that up so well and I love all of your spots and they all have special qualities about them and certainly yeah i i get the jimmy at the james <laughs> That's I, don't, I don't know how they couldn't i mean i literally <laughs> I stood up there and i'm like i can see all of new york all of brooklyn all of new jersey and there's a pool I'm yeah. in, like um you know <laughs> we did have some other projects that were looming at the time and and two of my partners from lotus were concerned that if we took on both we would we would you know um but i had gotten used to the fact um that a lot of the things that you're discussing um, don't always come to fruition. And I felt very confident that that one was going to come to fruition because of the people that were offering it to us. I really knew them very well. And I was like, look, this is a sure thing versus three or four other things that are maybes, and I need a sure thing. And thankfully, I, I did because, you know, that opened um, shortly after the comeback from the downturn. Um, of New York's economy, and uh, it was a great thing to have coming out of that, because um, that and that and Lambs opened almost at the same time. Yeah, well, it's still it's a lot it's a lot to manage, and you are doing it very well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. So uh, let's take a little break here, and uh, we're going to come back and talk more with David. So stay with us. This is on the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is David Rabin. As we were saying before the break, he is the partner at the Lambs Club, Cafe Clover, the Skylark, and Jimmy at the James. And so, David, you also have projects in Las Vegas because you don't have enough to do here, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Vegas thing is great. Um, 
we did a bar out there for about five, six years in the early 2000s called V-Bar that was um, yeah, uh, a great sort of success for us out there. And I was able to stay close with a guy who was only working on the Venetian at the time and now is actually COO of Sands Corp, Rob Goldstein. They have you know casinos all over the world at this point, Singapore, Macau. And about four years ago, um, we actually were playing tennis and... After we we sat down afterwards, he goes, you know what? We need to fix our bars. Can you fix our bars? It was just like that. Like, can you fix our bars? I'm like, uh, I guess. And so, um, you know, working with the Venetian is fantastic. Um, we did a big one called the Dorsey, um, which really personifies kind of what I was talking about before with this nightlife for grownups idea, which is, you know, you're bopping your head. But the cocktail program is, you know, I'm collaborating out there with Sam Ross from Attaboy and, um, He's just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, the the level of talent we attracted uh, to bartend because of Sam's uh, reputation was, was shocking. How many people wanted to come work at the Dorsey and now at Rosina, which is a sort of Vegas's version of an Attaboy or Vegas's version of a Rain's Law Room. I mean, it only holds about seventy people, which by Vegas standards is minuscule. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's working great. I mean, it's this beautiful, cozy, sexy little. It's based on like an Italian train car from the twenties. Um, it's some very out of the Orient Express, whereas the Dorsey holds around 200 people and feels more like a uh, a slightly feminine version of a men's club uh, floor, you know, like a like a university club kind of thing, but not not so over the top masculine. And we're doing a third one um, uh, in a, that'll open in probably July or August, uh, all in the Palazzo as well. So. The Venetian really gets it. You know, they understood that they had allowed themselves to sort of lag behind Vegas um, in terms of delivering um, some sort of product like this. And actually, I think now we're at the forefront, um, and they need to, you know, Vegas is always kind of an arms race. Um, uh, you know, someone builds a bigger, better club or bigger, better day, day club slash pool. Um, but I think in the terms of mixology and high-end bars, I actually think that we're now, we've created sort of the leadership role out there. No one else had these really in their venues. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I enjoy it. I mean, I go six to eight times a year and uh, I really like working with the team out there. Yeah, no, that's, now I'm due for another Vegas trip. I, like, <laughs> I don't go as much as you, but I like to go every couple of years to just keep up, especially with the restaurant scene. You know, scene. the thing, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, people are like, how can you stay in Vegas? I'm like, how can I stay in Vegas? There's always a new restaurant to try. <laughs> always, um, yeah. You know, the weather is generally amazing. Uh, I get a lot of work done because I'm not running around to to meetings all day, and um you know, I go for a few hours a night to check in on the venues um, at different times of the night to see how they feel. You know, the thing about Vegas that I don't think people would understand is that you can have a Tuesday that is double the revenue of a Saturday because if there's if there's the right convention in town. Mm-hmm. And so it's a for the managers, it's a staffing challenge to really anticipate. Um, you know, what a night in New York, you'd be like, oh, it's a Monday, we're going to do, you know, we're going to see 70 people. Well, out there, if if there's a big enough convention in town, you could see 800 people. And so that's the, I mean, that's the good news of Vegas is that is that uh, it's not defined only by Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, right. It's kind of busy all the time. Right. So let's jump back to being in New York and being the president of the Nightlife Association and the Meatpacking District initiative, like, how did you get involved in those organizations? And I mean, you were 
you are a major player. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the Nightlife Association, you know, there was a guy named Andrew Roche who had been running it, and he sort of, once he sold Irving Place, which was his one venue, he he felt that he no longer had the standing to be the president of it because he um, didn't have a venue any longer. And he, he kind of painted it, which there would be sort of an easy gig and that I'd be the right person. And, and it, you know, unbeknownst to me, being kind of naive, I, you know, the Giuliani administration and the early days of the Bloomberg administration were not particularly friendly to nightlife at all. And so I ended up, you know, basically in battles for three or four years um, with City Hall. And luckily I was doing that with a, you know, a, a guy who represents tons of uh, restaurant and bars uh, as their attorney, Rob Bookman, who's sort of the top liquor lawyer in New York. Um, and so he's always been counsel to the Nightlife Association, and I've always, I was the president for, for nine years. And so it was a, it was a rough run. I mean, uh, you know, I think our biggest accomplishment was probably, well, there were two that I think that, you know, sort of no one really knows about that much. But, you know, one, there was an effort at one point to, um, there was a bad bar bill circulating around New York, and really what the bad bar bill was, it was a license to kind of close any place they wanted to at 1 o'clock. And, um, you know, if you if there were two allegations, not even convictions, allegations of an assault in your venue within a two-year period, they could make you close at 1 a.m. And I was trying to get some traction to make people understand how insane that was, that basically it was going to be a weapon in the hands of the police to close any place they wanted to at 1 a.m., which is, you know, in New York is you know, the death sentence. And I wasn't getting any real traction. And then I reached out to the restaurants and I tried to explain to people like, you know, who had huge number of restaurants at the time, Steve Hansen, Mark Packer, Michael Weinstein, et cetera. I said, what do you think is going to happen to your late seating if if Lotus is closing at 1? You know, you think anyone's eating at your restaurant at 9, 30, 10? And once the restaurateurs started to understand the impact it was going to have on their second and third seatings, and once they started sort of getting involved in um, in the process, is when we had a real, when we really actually were able to 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 win that battle and and keep the 4 a.m. licensing, um, which you know it now has been whittled away by community boards, but essentially is still the state law, and uh, you know that's that was sort of the beginning of the Nightlife Association starting to morph into what is now the New York City Hospitality Association and is really a much more powerful group because it is a blend of um, all the most prominent restaurateurs in New York and all the biggest sort of bar and nightlife operators all kind of working together for the same goals because up until then they weren't, I don't think the restaurateurs realized how intertwined they were with us and vice versa. Um, Right. So that was that was one thing, and then the, the Meatpacking District Initiative initially started as just a a tenants organization because we you know had one of those you know what are we going to do in the shower you know like you sleep, you're in the shower thinking how am I going to keep our business going um, you know I was thinking about Lotus and I started thinking about that that column that runs in the New York Times about 36 hours in uh, you know a particular city mm-hmm. and I thought well you know you could do 36 hours in the Meatpacking District pretty pretty well you could jump off an Amtrak and never have to leave. You could stay in one of the hotels. You could, at the time, when it was a more interesting neighborhood, you could go to four or five galleries. You could go to seven or eight amazing, unique clothing stores. You could go to jewelry shops. You could eat in any one of 15 or so really cool, fun restaurants. And then there were five or six nightclubs. And I'm like, wow, this is like a little self-contained area 
of Manhattan that would be easy for 36 hours. So I reached out to all the uh, other tenants in the area and said, do you want to sort of band together and market the neighborhood as a neighborhood destination? Um, and, you know, we did a map, and American Express got behind us, and we did a website, and it, it really worked out extremely well, although I would say that it, um, we were almost kind of victims of our own success because, you know, once the once the big global companies started moving in, Apple, Hugo Boss, et cetera, um, Sephora, not only did the character of the neighborhood change, but also the ability of all these unique kind of places mm-hmm. to 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 hold on to their leases ended and so it's not it's not what it was you know looking back we may have kind of may have succeeded so much that we hurt ourselves in a way um but it's now morphed into a into a full scale uh business improvement district because yeah. there were some things going on with the Bloomberg administration and and transportation and again I found that you know we weren't really being listened to until I reached out to a really smart guy named Paul Pariser, Pariser who owns Taconic they they had owned the building that is now the Google building. Um, they have tons of real estate in that area. And, you know, once I explained to him what I thought the impact of some of the tra- the traffic changes were going to be to his businesses, um, he, as a very respected uh, landowner in New York, was able to change the conversation with city government. And so that's how that sort of got on its path to becoming its own bid. And, um, you know, it's you know, now it's a real neighborhood with a real business improvement district. And, you know, back then we were just 20 or 30, you know, people who had sort of ventured to this new neighborhood that we're trying to educate people. Yeah, no, it's not just me. Yeah. It's not just butchers. <laughs> you <laughs> no, can come down here. You made a major impact. I mean, I'm sitting, I'm listening to you. I'm sort of my, uh, I'm just in awe of everything you've accomplished and, and all these relationships and all these initiatives. It's, it's quite impressive. Um, you know, I know you're in it, so maybe it's hard to see it. But from the outside looking in, it's like, wow, you've you've done you've done a tremendous amount um, of, of amazing things. And I we're gonna have to take another break here. But I have a question from my last guest, so I wanted to ask you from Jonathan Rubenstein and Gabrielle Rubenstein Chong. They are the brother and sister team behind Joe Coffee, and. Um, they came on my episode 168. So they want to know, since your business is the polar opposite of theirs, as far as hours, uh, as you're going from afternoon to evening into the late night, early morning, what are the added complexities with a business that has a daily life cycle that's so long and has so many phases as compared to their coffee shop? Uh you know, that's a great question. You know, when I was in law school, I remember they used to say the law is a jealous mistress. And at first I didn't understand what they meant. And then when I got to be a lawyer, I figured out they meant that you basically had no life other than your job. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's the that's the upside and downside. Look, what, we, what we've done or what, we, or what I have done has been a lot of fun and very exciting at times. But it is you know, that that is a popular misconception. It's like, oh, you know, you just show up at night and check on your places and it's an all day, all night thing. I mean, you know, we start getting emails just like everyone else early in the morning. Um, I mean, I probably don't get up till nine, nine thirty, but I, I still can't get myself to go to bed till after two, which is a lot better than back in the Lotus days when it was, you know, after four. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, it's not an easy gig. I mean, there's, tremendous amount of, you can have a lot of fun with it and you meet amazing people and you know what is fun about it is you know even now like i mean my experience working lunch at lambs club is completely different than 
it might be at dinner at Cafe Clover or later at night down at Jimmy. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you kind of get used to it and you have to have a very, you know, I'm lucky that my wife is extremely patient and, uh, and you just get different rhythms. I mean, I get time home with my son at different times of day than someone else may have. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can come home at four o'clock and go goof around with him in the park for an hour shooting baskets, um, where someone else may never get that chance, you know, right. on a nice spring afternoon. But then at, you know, nine o'clock I'm saying, okay, I got to go back to work which most people don't have to deal with. Um, Mm. It was a choice, you know, for me. And um, most, for the most part, I've been glad of it, of that choice. But yeah, Mm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disabuse anyone of the note. You know, I think people should be aware that if they're going to launch this path for themselves, that it it is, it's time consuming. (laughs) On on that note, let's take one more break here. Come back. We're going to play my speed round game and, uh, So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is David Rabin. So, David, it's time for my speed round game. Are okay. You, are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> I'm going to name a few things, such as chocolate or vanilla, and you pick your preference. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, you ready? Yeah. Here, we, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Uh, eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Uh, a la carte. Small plates or large plates? I'm a large guy. <laughs> okay. Communal table or chef's counter? Say that again? Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, uh, you know, I'm going to go communal table. Okay. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. A few more. Bottle service or no bottle service? No bottle service. <laughs> Strong about that. House music or jazz? Tribe Called Quest. Okay. Pick your own <laughs> choice there. Um, cool. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Vegas? <laughs> I'm going to say Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, you don't have places in Vegas yet. I mean, in Brooklyn yet. No, but we're actually we're coming to see a spot on Monday, so who knows? Oh, okay. Um, who knew? 
So, yeah, well, I could ask you, I could have asked you tons of questions about the reasons behind those answers, but that it's a speed round, so you were speedy. And I'll say chocolate. Chocolate, cool. I'm chocolate, too. So. <laughs> okay. That's the game. So I'm going to switch things up a little bit on this show. Typically do industry news now, and I have a segment from South Beach Wine and Food Festival that I'm going to play on this show where I did a couple interviews at the festival that I was at a few weeks ago. Um, but rather than do that now, since you're on the phone, we're going to do that later. And instead, we're going to jump ahead to the final question. And I'll ask you to ask a question from my guests for next week. So I'm having on Lynette Marrero and Ivy Mix. They are two top bartenders based in New York City, and they are the co-founders of Speedrack, which is a national cocktail competition featuring top female bartenders. Um, it's it's an it's an awesome competition they've come up with. I'm, sh- I'm sure you're familiar with Speedrack, or I would think so, being in the industry. But um, David, what would you like to ask Lynette and Ivy? Uh, I guess I, w- I was thinking I would like to ask them what they think if there is another, uh, what next, what's the next spirit that's going to captivate uh, bartenders and that they're going to, you know, be creative with. I know it goes in cycles, you know, whether it be whiskeys or bourbons or, or, or mezcals, and I'm wondering if there's something on the horizon that they think is, is the next trend. That's a great question. I kind of want to throw it at you. Do you have a feeling of that? Uh... I don't. Okay. I don't. I mean, I don't. I, 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 I don't. I mean, I, it's really is be a better question for for Johnny or Sam. Okay. Because um, or, or these I, ladies. <laughs> you know, I'm such a I'm such a creature of trying not to fall victim to our uh, our industry that I, I I I get laughed at, but I walk around with a bottle of Diet Coke at most of our places. Oh, funny. Well, I have to mention too. I stopped at uh, Clover Grocery the other day, and and had a matcha. Uh, oh, cool. Which was delicious, and and that's a that new component of Cafe Clover is is cool. Yeah, that's an offshoot that really that as I mentioned earlier that Kyle, my my partner, really sort of drove the development of Clover Grocery. It, it's a it's a very organic. I mean, don't mean the pun there, but very organic outgrowth of Cafe Clover in the sense that. People were coming in and eating and having our seed crackers and having some of the dishes and wondering where they could get it. And we're like, well, a lot of it's made here. So we, the initial idea was just to have somewhere to sell some of the stuff that we make on premise. And then Kyle, when that space became available, um, Kyle was able to really blow it up into a full a full blown concept. And the other thing is that we actually it doubles at night as a we don't have a PDR a private dining room at at Cafe Clover, so. Because actually, it's all part of one building. We're able to bring the food um, oh, wow. uh, downstairs, like through the through the hallway of the building, actually. And um, so we do private dining, and we convert it at night. And probably once a week, it's rented, you know, for dinners for twenty to twenty-five, something like that. And and the food comes straight from our kitchen at Cafe Club whatever, without ever going outside. So it's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, because it's, it's not directly. Next door on the least street, yeah. No, so. but it's all part mm-hmm. of that, that right that massive ten downing building, which you know El Toro Blanco is on one corner and and we're on the other corner, and it's all part of the same building. So um, when we realized that there was a direct connection, we were like, well, I guess we could bring the food on on warming trays underneath. So we literally cook it in the kitchen. Two minutes later, it we bring it into um, into Clover Grocery uh, for dinners. 
But yeah, but during the day, it's become people have started to realize what a unique selection of brand. You know, and you know, you're always dealing with the issue of whole uh, of um, Amazon and various food delivery companies. But there's such a unique sort of curated selection um, that is really all due to Kyle's great efforts that that people are digging the store. Oh yeah, it was. There was. I'm surprised I did walk out there without purchasing something beyond my matcha because it was everything was so tempting. But I'll be back. It's a. It's okay, a great, great. It's great. Um, so thank you so much for for joining me today. And thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, congratulations on on everything you've accomplished and wishing you much continued success. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to take one more break. Come back and we do my solo dining experience. And I have my South Beach Wine and Food Festival segment. So don't go away. Stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Pulling your face out deep and I dive in the of love So blue in your eyes Washing my heart in you I rise like a mushroom An atom and cloud A burning circle of life No one, no one, no one Seems to notice yeah, And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Casa de Fejuada. Here's the rundown. The location, Rua Prudent Moraes 10B. This is in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The concept, a traditional Brazilian restaurant specializing in authentic feijoada. So why did I go? Well, because I was in Brazil, and one should have this beloved national staple. So, my experience. I Ubered over to this spot. I was greeted by the host, who was apparently the owner, and he was running the show. There were only a couple of other tables occupied, so I was able to spread out in a large table in the corner at this very charming restaurant. So, what did I get? Well, I wasn't presented with a menu, because it was obvious I was there for the feijoada, which is their bean and beef stew. So first, the owner brought me out this little cup of bean soup and sausages on the side, which I nibbled on as I waited for the main attraction. Soon then, he brought the meat stew. There were beans, rice, greens, orange slices, farofa, which is cassava flour, and tons of condiments. And the owner even showed me how to plate it up. Um, And to drink, I had a sparkling water. So my take Wow, it was a feast. I don't think I will ever have feijoada as good as this, or I, I can't imagine. The flavors were amazing. Um, it, was, it was delicious. The ambiance. It's a homey dining room, and I would say when it's filled, it must be super lively and um, energetic. It had, that, it had a great feel, even though there weren't that many diners there that evening. So perfect for an authentic, hearty Brazilian meal. Interesting tidbit. This restaurant has been open and serving its signature dish since 1989. So I think they have the formula down. Personal fun fact. So I called an Uber to pick me up. And as I was waiting outside, the owner then came out to make sure that I got in my car okay. And I have to say, I did not feel unsafe anywhere I was in Brazil. But it was was very nice that, that he made that gesture. The cost. 
$35. That's me converting what I spent into US dollars and including everything. Would I go back? Yes. Their website is restaurantecasadefajuada.com.br. Okay, so now for the final part of the show, I am going to play back a segment that I taped at South Beach Wine and Food Festival. And um, so I was down there this year, you know, wearing the radio show hat, but also uh, wearing the hat of publicist. I was with uh, Jim Leahy of Sullivan Street Bakery. He's a client of mine, and he was doing events Thursday night, the Barilla's Italian Bites on the Beach. And he also did a master class at his location in Little Haiti in Miami on Saturday. Um, so this festival was February 21st to 25th. It was the 17th annual event with its mission to eat, drink, and educate. And um, so the people I spoke with, first up we have Devin Mosley. He's of Agency IMD, which is a culinary talent management agency based in New York City. And I found him at events at the Shore Club where we chatted. And then after that, we're going to roll right into an interview I did with freelance writer, social media influencer, Dara Pollock of the Skinny Pig NYC. So uh, sit back and listen. Here's a little South Beach wine and food coverage. It's great to be down here at South Beach at the Shore Club with you. It's awesome. Thank you. I'm glad to see you and... It's always a fun time to be down here in the winter, getting out of that cold, rainy, snowy New York. Yes, I haven't looked at the weather to see what we're going back to, but this is quite nice here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a bit about your agency and, and what brings you to South Beach sure. Wine and Food Festival. So we have a talent division, um, talent management division, and so our roster is uh, chefs, mixologists around the country that are experts in their craft, and what we do is help them navigate uh, their, their brand alignments and partnerships. Cool. So who who's down here at South Beach that you're working with? This year, Anita Lowe, Chef Anita Lowe. Oh, she's um, awesome. She is awesome. She was doing a an event, a uh, veggie event. Um, she and Amanda Cohen did an event the other night. And then Jen Lewis, who owns Ray Restaurant out in Portland, Oregon. Right. Also another here. awesome woman chef. Yeah. She just came out with her second cookbook. Um, and she just reconcepted. Uh, she... Ray opened, I think, about a year ago, Israeli cuisine, and she's just uh, killing it. She has a new line of, of spices as well that are out. So she was here. She did a couple events, uh, Best of the Best, and a um, uh, Israeli cuisine dinner the other night. Wow, there's been an Israeli theme, I think, going on a little yeah. down here. Yeah, there's a few dinners and things that have been happening. She's part of that, and then we also um, represent Chris Coons in Boston. He has Boston Chops and Duab. Duab just got four stars Forbes travel guide last week um, after eight years being open which is awesome for them he's about to open his second Boston Chops Steakhouse in about a month and a half in um, downtown crossing in Boston and um, he's the official um, spokesperson for hood cream and so he's down here doing a couple events he did uh, best of the best he did chicken coop he also did uh, Chef JJ's Versace Mansion party yesterday, which was a good time, as as always. Yes, it was. So, I, yeah. It's um, been great to connect with them, hang out a bit. Um, it's always fun, our annual trip down, to really kind of mix that relaxation, work, industry time. It was good. How does an event r- go for you? Or, like, how sure. do you roll through South Beach? Yeah, no, I think that... Um, 
as as people that aren't the chef stars in this, we know that we kind of have to take on whatever role makes sense for them in a support capacity. Um, destination experiences for the kitchen have to be, you know, kind of a, a mental strain on them trying to figure out how they're going to do it like normal outside their own restaurant. So, um, yeah, no, generally um, this weekend has been awesome. It's just been kind of connecting with brands and chatting with folks. Um, and, uh, you know, cheers, you know, clinking glasses yeah. and helping out the chefs wherever necessary. Um, but mostly, mostly trying to align them with, um, you know, networking opportunities and meeting right. the right folks. So what's the best thing you ate or drank this weekend? Dude, we went to Q in Wynwood for lunch on Friday and it was awesome. I um, have to go. Yeah. I might go there for dinner tonight because yeah, awesome. I haven't been. It was really awesome. Service was on point. Um, the coconut uh, cake for dessert was delicious. Um, fried chicken, super tasty. We did a couple of steam buns and they were awesome. Uh, like a crab and I think a pork belly. And um, team was awesome. The staff was really well trained. And then afterwards, you just kind of strolled around the Windwood Walls. So awesome. An awesome lunch. Did you have a good time while you were here? I did. Yeah, yeah. it was great. What was your favorite food? What'd you eat? Oh, um, put it back on me, huh? Um, I don't know. I, I The burger bash when I was there, I had a lot of tasty burgers. The Morimoto burger, yeah. the one from Angie Marr. It was really delicious, right? Yeah. yeah. That was my favorite. It was, it was, I thought she was going to win, actually, but um, it was, a, it was huge. Yeah. But. Um, Who ended up winning? I didn't hear. Who ended up winning? It was um, Alex Grinichelli won. I don't remember which one, but Butter got. Awesome. I think the I think the judges award. Awesome. So, well, cool. Well, thank you so much. Great this seeing you. This was fun. Great seeing you too. All right. So hi. Hi. I'm here with Dara Pollock, the Skinny Pig NYC. Or do you go by this the Skinny Pig? In- uh, you know it's interesting actually. My because my Instagram is at Skinny Pig NYC, but my blog is the Skinny Pig. So really, either one works for me. Either one. Mm-hmm. And just for my listeners, how'd you come up with the name? Oh, gosh. Uh, it was kind of a nickname, more or less, because uh, when I was a dancer back in my day, I <laughs> used to eat a lot of food and just never really gained that much weight. So uh, one day, someone, one of my friends saw me eating just like a bowl of cheese fries for lunch and was like, how do you eat all this and stay thin? You're like a skinny pig. And then I just stuck with that and ran with it. And there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> now, now on Instagram, let's let's tell people how many followers are now following you. Yes, <laughs> um, eighty-five thousand, I believe. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I do tell people sometimes how there was, and this is true, <laughs> there was a time that I had more followers than you. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, <laughs> I do remember that. I'm not close anymore. <laughs> I'm. I don't know. I'm, I'm. What are you at now? What am I at? That's a good question. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm in like 7,400. Okay. I'm not, it's not horrible. Right. No, that's pretty good still. Are you looking at thousands? Up I am so actually quick. looking you up right now just to see. Bayer PR is at. Uh, well, Bayer PR is oh, right. 4,000. Okay. And, oh, yeah. 7,392. Look at that. It's not horrible. Not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not 85,000. Right. Um, what brought you down here? 
Um, honestly, it's my favorite week of the year. I'm not even kidding. Uh, I've been coming now. I think this is my fourth year here. Um, sometimes I come. I'm a freelance writer as well. So, you know, I write for Food Network, Thrillist, Bravo, all recipes, lots of different things. And uh, sometimes I'm here on assignment. Last year I was covering uh, a piece for Bravo that I did on a bunch of the chefs. And I got to interview a bunch of the chefs, which is awesome. But... This year I'm not uh, on assignment, I'm just here for myself, just doing some coverage for Skinny Pig, for my blog, for my Instagram, and um, yeah, just seeing what's out there and checking out some new events, so it's been it's been awesome, I mean, <laughs> I love it, it's it's amazing here. <laughs> what's, what's been a highlight of the weekend for you? Um, honestly, I think uh, the Pig Beach barbecue that we went to, it was the, I think it was like the second night we were here on Thursday, they had uh, Pig Beaches, this place in uh, Brooklyn, I'm right. sure you know of, and they have Pig Bleaker in the city as well. Um, they make amazing food, um, barbecue, like every, ribs, brisket, whatever. And um, they had a barbecue here at the Nautilus, uh, the 60 Thompson, 60 Hotel, I think it's called. Yeah. 60 okay. Hotel. Yeah. So when you're down here at the festival, as far as Instagram and social media coverage, are like, what's, do you have a strategy or are you just sort of winging it? Um, I do like to make sure that I'm covering all of the events that I go to, at least on Instagram stories, if not a post. Because, like, a post for each one is a little bit unrealistic, especially because I take the photos on my feed very seriously. As you know, I'm always looking for natural lighting, and a lot of these events are at night, so... Mm-hmm. It's hard to get the good content at night, so but I still want like my followers to see where I'm at and they can see all that on stories. So I just try to make sure that like I'm covering each of the events that I end up going to in some capacity. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, last question: what's yeah. what's the best thing or one of the best things you ate or drank mm. while while down here in South okay. Beach? Okay, that's tough, but. Probably at Burger Bash, uh, the burgers from Emily. I love I love Emily's burger, the Emmy burger. Um, I had that when oh, I was there. It was delicious. So good. Yeah, I mean, a- I've I've had it probably a million times, but <laughs> I was still like, I'll have it again. <laughs> well, thank you. So fun seeing you down here. Yes, of course, and so fun enjoying all the beautiful weather while it's we're here too. Beautiful. Right? <laughs> we're at the Betsy Hotel. Oh Rooftop. yes. The Fantastic. Bet- the Betsy is amazing, by the way. I heard it was actually voted one of the uh, top rooftops in uh, in, in, uh, in Manhattan, in Miami. Really? One of the top rooftops in Miami. Yep. Well, it's lovely. Yeah. Yes. It's beautiful good, up here. Good to know. It's yeah. here. And thanks to Devin Mosley of Agency IMD and Dara Pollock of The Skinny Pig, NYC, which she sometimes goes by, for joining me at South Beach Wine and Food Festival. That was our segment. Obviously, uh, burgers were a highlight and uh, rooftops are just being outside, which us New Yorkers can appreciate in the wintertime even more so. So also, I would just like to thank everyone at South Beach Wine and Food Festival uh, for having having me. It was a wonderful weekend. And uh, congratulations to Lee Schrager and the entire team. I don't know how they do it every year. They, they just make it seem seamless. And um, it's just such a well-executed food festival weekend. Um, it's just uh, impressive. So congratulations and great to be a part of. I would also like to thank my engineer, Vitor, who helped me put that segment together, a little editing there, but uh, mostly it was played back our conversations, as you could tell. So, but thank you, Vitor. I couldn't have done it without you. And thank you for engineering my show today. Uh, A shout out to David Rabin. He was my guest. He is the partner at the Lambs Club at Cafe Clover, at the Skylark, at Jim... 
and at Jimmy at the James. Uh, he's the former president of the New York Nightlife Association and the founder of president of the Meatpacking District Initiative. And he ran us through all of that, which uh, is so impressive. Um, he's just a great guy in the industry, which I much continued success. Uh, his, he's not big on social, but you can find uh, some of his websites, thelambsclub.com and cafeclover.com. Uh, so I should also say uh, South Beach Wine Food Festival, if you want to check it out uh, more about that, they're at sobwff.org. And for me, you can always find me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. Also, one more thing before I close up. I just wanted to, we skipped over some industry news, but there was a big, big story this week on how Google is selling Zagat to the infatuation. And uh, back on episode 107, I had on Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, the founders of the infatuation. And it's a huge deal that they somehow are acquiring Zagat from Google. Who knew? Uh, So congratulations to them. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, and on Spotify. So you can find us everywhere all the time. So uh, please uh, listen listen back to archives when you get a chance. And also, I'd love for people to leave reviews and uh, let me know if you like the show. So I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.